The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We are actually going to do the largest infrastructure bill ever in America's history. The more extraordinary the extraordinary measures get, the harder it is to put pressure on Congress. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Why wouldn't you try a primary against President Biden if he were to decide to run against You guys know you speak to a pretty educated audience. The debt ceiling is a completely manufactured crisis. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We are live from Washington where the Christmas trees are already going up and the mask mandates are coming down. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. I am Joe Matthew, joined today by Bloomberg's Emily Wilkins and what could be the final throws in the debate around soft infrastructure in the U.S. House. A vote they say, Emily, is possible by the end of the week. Joe, they might have to work the weekend, but Nancy Pelosi is promising it will pass this week and members are going to be able to enjoy their Thanksgivings. Only holdup is a small group, moderate Democrats. They're waiting for this official report on the cost of the bill before they can move forward. But President Biden's not waiting. He is already yeah. on the road to sell that infrastructure piece. And that's something the traveling salesman is back. Swung through the town of Woodstock, New Hampshire today. We're going to talk about it. With Andy Smith, director of the University of New Hampshire Survey Center, our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis, along with Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, partner at Rock Solutions. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. Today, joined by Bloomberg's Emily Wilkins. And it's been one of those days, Emily, you couldn't really predict. Everyone thought we'd be talking about President Biden's meeting with President Xi today. We'd be talking foreign policy in China. And we have to an extent, but... So little came from that meeting. The narrative kind of moved right back to the president's economic agenda. And, of course, that includes the Fed, as Charlie just mentioned. We learned today mass mandates could be going down. Well, they will starting Monday in in some settings in Washington, D.C. So we're kind of right back where we started. Yeah, we're in a little bit. It feels like we're in a little bit of this holding pattern today, right? We're all waiting to see what the House is going to do with this big social welfare and tax bill, but yeah. we're not going to know until the end of the week. We're waiting to see who Biden nominates for Fed chair. But as they said today, I think they they gave a very specific estimate. They're like, we're not going to know days? for another four days. What is that with four days? By the way, what's you happening what? in four days? They're they're letting us know to not make any big plans for our Fridays. That that we should make is that sure because that we're not it's cutting his birthday. The early. It's his birthday Saturday. this weekend. Saturday is his birthday. So it's a birthday thing four I, days I, I suppose i i'm not i mean i'm i'm gonna be honest I, you know you can celebrate your birthday however you would like to but no? but i've got a couple other ideas than picking a fed chair maybe it's maybe it's one of their birthdays maybe it's powell's or, or brainerd's birthday and that's why he's he's aiming do for some that. do some googling he did uh, he did get on the road today emily as we mentioned traveled to quaint woodstock not new york but new hampshire north country new hampshire Closer to the Canadian border, actually, than the Massachusetts border, to give you a sense. This is the White Mountains, right? Beautiful Woodstock, New Hampshire. Home to an 80-something-year-old bridge that was redlined almost a decade ago. Here is President Biden in Woodstock, New Hampshire. We're at an inflection point in American history. 
This law, this law meets that point. For most of the 20th century, we led the world by significant margin because we invested in ourselves. I heard there was snow up there already. They had a dusting in the hills. Is that possible? Andrew Smith is joining us, director of the University of New Hampshire Survey Center. And I bet he could tell us. You see snowflakes? Down here, but yes, it's not surprising that there's snow on the upper parts of the mountains. Up yeah. So all you skiers, get ready. Andy Smith, I missed you. We associate you so much with the New Hampshire primary and election nights, but we knew you were the man to call the day that President Biden uh, went back to New Hampshire. Uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the venue. Why did he choose Woodstock, and and what is his standing right now in the Granite State? Well, getting back to your first point, there is an election coming up here in about four years. Oh, yeah. Primary (laughs) just a little bit over four years from now, and right now— It's uh, never too early to start. Absolutely not. He's not looking too good right now. Uh, among Democrats up here, we're already seeing that only 37 say, uh, 37 percent say they're going to vote for Joe Biden in the in the primary of 2024. Uh, 13 percent want another candidate, and 52 percent just aren't sure yet, and they prefer that Biden has opposition. So yeah. he has to uh, kind of um, get his ducks in a row for the 2024 election. So I think that's one reason he comes up here. Uh, secondly, we have a Senate race this year that's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Maggie Hassan, she's a first-term senator, is uh, in a really heated battle, even though that uh, the Governor Chris Sununu has decided to run for governor again. Yeah, is it still? So I was going to say, is it a race? Uh, right now, given the state of uh, national affairs and what we've seen in Virginia and in uh, New Jersey, any candidate, any Republican candidate, will give uh, Hassan a run for her money. Uh, in New Hampshire in 2022. And I also know there's there's a competitive House race there. I mean, Chris Pappas has been holding on to his seat since 2018 when he flipped it. But but there is a chance that that could go back, particularly when you're looking at a midterm that's supposed to be advantageous for Republicans as 2022 is going to be. Andrew, I'm wondering, you know, President Biden, he's launching himself on this PR tour. He's trying to make sure that Americans know what is in this infrastructure bill that Democrats just passed, Democrats and Republicans just passed through Congress. But is this really the right focus right now? Is this what the voters in New Hampshire and across the country are actually looking for from President Biden? Well, I think what it is, what he's doing is emphasizing some good news and some good potential economic news for people. It's always good to have a new bridge put up, especially if you're worried that you're going to fall into the Pemigewasset River driving over mm-hmm. that bridge in uh, Woodstock. Uh, but the economic news uh, in, a, in people's minds here isn't as good as many people would hope. Uh, when you look at consumer confidence in New Hampshire, it's not very good. Uh, more people expect bad times and good times, both in the state and nationwide. Uh, so I think what he's trying to do is emphasize some of the things that could come out uh, well in the future. The other major thing that, that he doesn't want to have to talk about is inflation. And so this is a good way to keep inflation, at least off the front pages. Uh, maybe it's not going to go away from business pages, but it's off the front pages for a few days. Andy Smith reminding us why I've been calling it the Pemi River all day long. Some people do. That is the nickname, right? It's Pemi. It's Pemi Gawasset. Did I say it right? Pemigewasset. Oh, see, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going back to it. So, tell me about Woodstock, New Hampshire, uh, Andy. This is interesting. Does it does it fulfill that sort of usual model in New Hampshire, where the the suburbs closer to Boston are actually the conservative areas, and this would be a progressive town? Uh, Woodstock is really kind of a blue-collar town up in the mountains, a little bit of a tourist town, a lot of restaurants and ski resorts nearby. I wouldn't say that it is a progressive town. I'd say that it's more of a blue-collar 
um, um, found that uh, the kind of voters that Biden and Democrats lost in these uh, most recent elections and have been losing as a Democratic Party over the last several cycles. So the, in New Hampshire, the Republican Party is much more likely to be the blue collar uh, yeah. driving a pickup truck with the toolbox in back than the Democratic Party. Uh, the, and the, the, the thing, one other point that I want to make about um, you mentioned the races up here. The first CD is one to really watch. Chris Pappas is running for re-election there, but the uh, this, uh, the state Senate and the state House have a redistricting commission or a redistricting committee that is going to radically redraw that first CD that essentially will put all of the Democratic towns that are in that first congressional district over in the second CD. So uh, Pappas is going to have a really hard time running in that district this time around. Yeah, and he's certainly not the only Democrat who is looking at their state's redistricting map and realizing that the, the upcoming midterm is not going to be easy for them. Uh, Andy, I, I wanted to go back just a minute for inflation. I know you said that President Biden obviously wants to avoid talking about the fact that inflation is, is going more rapidly than it has since the last 31 years. But doesn't he need to address this at some point? I mean, Republicans are being very diligent about using this as a talking point to attack Democrats with and, and look at it's, it's all great that $550 billion just passed for infrastructure, but if I'm the average American, I might not know what Congress is doing, but I certainly know that the cost at the, at the gas pump has gone up. I think that you're absolutely right. He eventually will have to say something. But as we've seen in the past when presidents have had to deal with inflation, there's not a whole lot that you can do very quickly to right that ship. Uh, you remember the last president that really experienced significant inflation was Jimmy Carter, and it cost him his reelection in part in, in uh, 1980. So, uh, yeah, it has to be addressed, uh, and it's an unfortunate thing for that. Um, with inflation, you can't just throw money in it. That actually is one of the reasons you get more inflation. Uh, you actually have to cause some pain to the economy, and that's something that no president really wants to do. It's interesting, though, Andy. He has talked about it a bit and has suggested that his economic agenda is is a possible cure uh, for inflation. If you want lower housing prices, right, if you want lower drug prices, he says lower costs for child care, that this is actually an somehow anti-inflationary bill. Republicans don't buy it. Does, does polling bear out that Americans are accepting that? Uh, I don't. I haven't seen any polls that Americans really accept that. Other, they, they pretty much line up on that as they do on most issues, based on their partisanship and their view of the president. Right. Uh, it, uh, economists can't even line up on what side on what to do specifically about inflation. Yeah. So uh, it's not surprising that the public doesn't really know. We're talking with Andy Smith, director of the University of New Hampshire Survey Center on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington with Emily Wilkins. Yeah, and we're recapping a little bit of what President Biden said today up in New Hampshire. This is stop one of a multi-stop tour that the president's going to go on, that members of his cabinet are going to go on, really trying to sell this infrastructure, hard infrastructure bill to Americans. One interesting thing that I did notice during the speech, Andy, is that at one point, uh, Biden, he spent a good bit of uh, the speech kind of railing on America's highest earners. At uh, one point, he said that if he heard again that Wall Street built this country, he was gonna, and then he got so mad he just kind of trailed off. What is President Biden doing here? Why, why mention that as a part of this speech that's supposed to be focusing on infrastructure? Uh, and the short answer is politics, and the, it's usually good politics in the United States. There are a whole lot more people who are not rich than there are rich people, and it's awfully <laughs> hard to defend rich people. They become kind of a punching bag anytime that the economy is going bad, but they're doing well. So the stock market's doing really well. Wall Street's really happy. They have big bonuses this year. The rest of us are dealing with inflation. Um, 
so it's it's easy to point the finger at somebody else who's doing well because it makes it seem like this is a zero-sum game. The view from the first in the nation primary state, Andy Smith. Great to talk with you, director of the University of New Hampshire Survey Center. We'll be back with Andy come primary time. He says, after all, it's, well, it's only four years away. I'm Joe Matthew with Emily Wilkins. Coming up, we assemble the panel. Rick Davis, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist with us here on the Fastest Hour in Politics. We'll check traffic and the markets on the way. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, Biden says infrastructure law hits at kitchen table issues. Just like we were discussing with Andy Smith here on Bloomberg Radio, I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined by Bloomberg's Emily Wilkins. And that is what this comes down to, right? I guess the question I always find myself asking here, Emily, is if that's the case, if this is a blue collar story, if this is about working class Americans, wasn't that supposed to be the sweet spot for Joe Biden, who famously was the least wealthy man in the Senate, who talked about his dad looking up at the ceiling, worried about his family? That was the whole storyline on the campaign. I mean, look, Democrats say that they are the party of the working class. Republicans say that they are the party of the working class. Meanwhile, the working class is in a country that's dealing with massive income inequality at this point. Mm -hmm. And so there definitely is that level of frustration. We saw it increase after the 2008 recession. We see it continuing. But both parties really understand that that is an extremely key block of voters in the upcoming midterms, in the presidential. We may as well start talking about it. It's only three years away. Biden was in New Hampshire. <laughs> Just cut cut the ribbon right now. 2024 yeah. is here. That's what a thought. He, Andy got me thinking about that. Uh, but, you know, a victory lap for Joe Biden. There it is. He stands at this dilapidated bridge up there in New England and brings, I believe it's $225 million, uh, if I remember correctly, for bridges in New Hampshire and a billion dollars for highways. These are the kind of stories that the administration was looking to tell. And you know who else was? I know you know, Emily, because you live practically on Capitol Hill. It's a guy named Mitch McConnell who skipped the bill signing this week. We actually have some sound from him as he talked to reporters today about it. Here's the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell. I'm proud of my vote, and uh, members were obviously free to choose how they wanted to vote. And in the Senate, 19 Senate Republicans felt it was the right thing to do for the country. Well, there it is. And uh, 13 Republicans end up in the House. We assemble the panel now. I'm glad to say Rick Davis is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor, also spending the hour with Kristen Hahn. We've just got a big crew hanging out here tonight. Democratic strategist, former Blue Dog Coalition communications director, partner at Rock Solutions. Kristen, great to have you back. Always great to have Rick Davis with us as well. What's your take on that, Rick? To hear from Mitch McConnell, as as other uh, Republican members on Capitol Hill suggest that uh, this would be... Uh, the move of a traitor for a Republican to vote for infrastructure. I believe that was the term that Marjorie Taylor Greene used. Uh, this is a wild world we're living in here. What do you make of it, Rick? Well, first, I'm going to ignore Marjorie Taylor Greene as much That's as I can deal. for the next year. And so aside from that, uh, as Emily said, uh, Republicans are in the game with uh, blue-collar uh, voters. And, and in fact, uh, since Donald Trump sort of opened up that basket, uh, especially in the secondary towns and cities across America. Um, this is why you see a lot of Republicans voting for infrastructure, because the one thing Joe Biden is right on is that 
people do like infrastructure. I think I've taken the Straight Talk Express across that bridge in New Hampshire, and I am glad <laughs> it's getting repaired. Oh, my God. Man could die just campaigning in New Hampshire. But uh, it's, it's just a fact that this is the kind of thing voters like. It's what the country needs. And, and Joe Biden, if he, he, he could do a lot worse than spend every single day between now and the midterm elections doing exactly what he did today, showing up in these battleground states, districts all across the country, talking about how many millions of dollars is going to come into that state or that district because of this bill. And it's not just going to be uh, President Joe Biden. Democrats announced today, House Democrats, their goal is to do more than a thousand events in the next several weeks on this yeah. infrastructure bill. Each member's got to do five. So oh, so yeah. it does does all even out. But, but Kristen, I want to bring it over to you because really in the minds of many Democrats, the job is only half done. Great that they got the roads and the bridges. Now they need the child care and the health care. And really, when you think about the social welfare and tax bill, the Build Back Better, whatever you you would to call it the whole process right now is being held up by a handful of moderate democrats in the house who are insisting that the congressional budget office score comes out and shows that this bill isn't going to you know be revenue neutral and on the surface that, that sounds like such a rational thing but when you dive in a little further you realize that this bill the house passes it's going to go to the senate it's going to change plus the infrastructure bill the cbo looked at that did their math and said hey this is going to add 265 billion dollars to the national deficit so why why are we all being held up right now on the social welfare and tax bill waiting for a score that that's going to change well, first of all, and thank you for having me. Um, you know, I think really quickly on the infrastructure bill, this is a huge accomplishment. Many presidents have been have been trying for for many years, um, and it's it's good to see that the president and uh, members of Congress who voted for this are are going out and, and telling people and showing people how this is going to impact their lives. That's a really important thing to do. Sometimes we have trouble communicating, at least on our side of the aisle. So I thought um, at least today's event was a first uh, good step. On, you know, the Build Back Better Act, I think that there are a lot of things, first of all, that are very popular in that bill. You know, universal pre-K, um, child care. These are things that um, impact the lives of um, Americans in, in different ways than um, infrastructure. And, you know, these, these members who, um, who many of them I work with, they, they do not think it's unreasonable um, and they've been negotiating in good faith. You know, I mean, you saw last um, uh, a couple of Fridays ago when the members of the Progressive Caucus got together. Uh, Can I you ask know, you both, though, because we're just about out of time. Does a vote happen uh-huh. this week? Does this thing pass this yeah, week, Yeah, I Kristen? think it ultimately happens, but I think that they don't think it's unreasonable to know what it costs before they right. vote on it, which is responsible. But, yes, I think it ultimately Something tells me, though, even if the CBO comes back and says it's not really totally paid for, Rick, we're still going to get a vote that passes the bill. What do you think? Yeah, I think the blue dogs hold their nose and they vote yes, no matter what the CBO score is. There you have it. We're counting the days here. I'm Joe Matthew with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. And Laura Davison is up next. Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter. Figure out the pay for us. Is salt in this thing or not? We'll tackle that next on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. 
This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. So what's all the fuss about anyway? We're drilling down in the minutia, digging through details from the policies to the pay-fors, knowing all the while that any bill passed in the House will change, maybe dramatically, in the Senate, right? I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, joined by Emily Wilkins today. And we're going to talk taxes coming up with Laura Davis in Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter. Take it with a grain of salt. Four days, in fact, right? Didn't they get that specific? Emily Wilkins, four days until President Biden announces his take on the Fed. Maybe that's like after the markets close on a Friday. Let everybody calm down. Think about it for the weekend. I think I think he's doing us a favor. I think he's telling us if you're trying to sneak out of work early and, and start happy hour, <laughs> st- stick around, stick around. It's a favor. <laughs> yeah, don't get ensconced. You, uh, though, Emily Wilkins, were on the Hill today. I know you were uh, watching the Democrats caucus. They're back in town and they're looking at a deadline, as we've been discussing here. Uh, and we're looking at Friday potentially for uh, maybe the, the earliest time we could get a vote. We're going to talk in a moment with Laura Davison. But if we're still asking questions about whether salt is in this, about whether the CBO will think it's even paid for when they look at IRS enforcement, Emily. Are we actually near having a real bill that somebody can print out and read? There are two different questions here. And number one, how close are we to the House passing the bill? And number two, how close is the bill to actually going to President Biden's desk? And the first one, it really could happen this week. I mean, House Democrats have actually agreed on a SALT provision that would raise the cap to $80,000 a year. But Mm. that's expected to be changed in the Senate. Remember, when the House passes this bill, it doesn't go to Biden. It goes to the Senate. And then Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema do their thing. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So that's and like the spirit of this conversation. Yes. Here, then. How about we, as we bring in Laura, this is, we know that the plates are still spinning. And no matter what ends up in this bill, it's likely to be altered or shaken around by the Senate. So, Laura Davison, Bloomberg's expert on taxes in Congress, what's your thought? How close are we to a finished product in the House? You know, the House will pass this bill today, but it's not going to be the thing, as Emily was saying, that Biden is going to sign. There are still some big, big unresolved issues, salt, paid leave, um, potentially some things around drug pricing that will get uh, continue to be tweaked as it as it moves over to to the other side of the Capitol. You know, today talking with uh, you know some senators who are working on how they want to change salt. Instead of having a, a higher cap, they want to look and limit the deduction to people under a certain income level, maybe around about four hundred thousand dollars. And this is really a response to a lot of criticism um, that Democrats are getting uh, from both the left and the right that this bill, as it's written right now, would actually cut taxes for some of the highest earners. 
taxpayers. You know, remember the at the beginning, the idea was to raise taxes on the wealthy, and now um, a lot of wealthy individuals are going to get a tax cut, according to some analysis from Congress's official scorekeepers. Is it paid for though? Will the CBO tell us it's paid for, or they're going to be fudging some IRS enforcement numbers? Uh, so, you know, what is paid for is somewhat in the eye of the beholder here. Um, it looks like that some of the White House projections um, that, you know, the IRS enforcement provisions would you know, give the IRS um, $80 billion more dollars to, to invest in, in new systems and in new auditors to, to make sure that all tax dollars are being collected. Uh, they estimate that would raise about $400 billion over a decade. Uh, the CBO director was talking yesterday, and he said, eh, more like $120 billion. But Talking with members of Congress, they basically <laughs> say they don't agree with CBO's uh, methodology, and so Democrats yeah. are sort of agreeing to uh, look at the White House's numbers and not CBO's for this particular measure. That's oh, convenient. Well, we got some breaking news crossing the terminal right now. Actually, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is yep. announcing that extraordinary measures are expected to run out on December 15th. That's Uh-oh. when the debt limit is going to come, December 15th, 1-5. It's a little more wiggle room than what we had with we had the December third, right? we yeah. had the third, so we have a little more time. So, what's that mean uh, for dealing with it legislatively? It it, it means that uh, December is going to be a very very hectic month when you. You have can't walk the, it right up to the line, though. Is my point, though, right? Is this actually changed the deadline for work on the Hill? It could very well, because this does need to be done. I mean, for things like the social welfare and tax plan, uh, even for things like funding the government, they could wind up running that right up until Christmas Eve, potentially even later, really. Uh, But for this particular thing, for the debt limit, they really do need to act. And remember, this isn't something where Congress can just turn around 24 hours ahead of time and say, oh, we got an agreement. If this goes through reconciliation, they need several weeks to pull Uh. that off. So, all right, good job, Emily Wilkins, with the breaker. What does that mean to you, Laura Davison? Is there any chance the debt ceiling goes into reconciliation? There's still a chance. I was talking with Bernie Sanders. He's the budget chairman of the Senate. You know, and he said there's continuing to look at all options. Democrats don't really want to do reconciliation, partially because it takes a lot of time and partially because this is really just an internal battle of wills we're having with Republicans right now. Uh, but, you know, they, they may be forced to do that. And, you know, they may be really you know, pushing that December 15th deadline, uh, which could potentially spook some markets if it looks like they may or may not meet that deadline. Yeah, but Laura, let's be real here. I mean, I know that Democrats are really trying to pressure Republicans to come along with them. Is there any sense at this point that that's what it's going to be? I mean, it seems to me that Democrats' only option at this point is reconciliation, unless Mitch McConnell has a, does a major 180 tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, and I think Democrats are looking at what McConnell did, you know, earlier this fall as they gave that he basically, you know, uh, said got his guys in line, said Republicans, hey, we got to help Democrats out here. You know, I think it's highly unlikely that McConnell, uh, even if McConnell wants to do it, that he could get enough senators to deliver the votes uh, for that. So Democrats are going to probably have to realize here in the next uh, couple days, if not a couple weeks, that, that they're going to need to figure out uh, a way to get this done in reconciliation and manage that with all of the funding the government as well as passing <laughs> Biden's agenda here. Laura Davison, Bloomberg's expert on taxes in Congress. We thank you for being with us, Congress and tax reporter. Laura Davison, feeding the beast that is the terminal. I'll tell you what, Emily, we were all thinking the same thing here while we talk about this. This could have been handled last summer. The same scenario you're describing. It could have been handled last summer, and it would have had maybe a day or two of coverage, and then it would have gone away completely. But instead, we are here again talking about it, and Congress loves to walk right up to those deadlines. So Yeah, the market doesn't, though. (laughs) I guess the moral of the story is that make sure that you enjoy your Thanksgiving. Make sure you relax, because when we come back, it's it's running. It's running uh, right up until Christmas. 
Katie, bar the door. Uh, indeed, we've got more deadlines than we thought we had when the program began, apparently, thanks to Emily Wilkins, who's spending this hour with us on Sound On. And it is moving quickly. So we'll check traffic markets next, Emily. Then we'll reassemble the panel. Rick Davis is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Along today, Kristen Hahn, Democratic strategist, partner at Rock Solutions. As we try to find our way to a final product on Capitol Hill, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. In the next four days, that's the line today from President Biden. As you've been hearing on Bloomberg Radio, making more news, the president making more news after his speech on infrastructure than he did during it. And that's frequently the case. This is why the reporters run after everyone as they come off the stage. Maybe they'll say something real. He told them to expect an announcement of a nominee for Fed share in the next four days. You can read about it on the terminal. And that's where we start with the panel once again. I'm Joe Matthew and Emily Wilkins is with us this hour. The panel as well. Rick Davis and Kristen Hahn with us for the hour. Emily, this is interesting. Uh, it adds to the Groundhog Day aspect of this administration and just kind of the spirit in Washington right now where we come in every day and grind through this debate about reconciliation. Will there be a bill? Is it going to be paid for? We've got a deal. Here's a framework. And now this Fed steady drumbeat is is really getting to be the point of just deafening. If you If you listen to or watch financial news, you see how much angst there is in the market over this. Why not just announce it? Well, remember, when they do announce it, th that's not the end of the road. This person, whether it's Jay Powell or Lael Brainard, needs to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. And yeah. you've already heard some concerns from Senator Senator Elizabeth Warren saying she would not support Jay Powell's nomination. Uh, but you've also seen a number of senators say that they would prefer to have vote for Senator Powell, including a number of Republicans who have said, hey, uh, you know, we are happy to go ahead and, and back Jay Powell again. Uh, we got a, another story up on the terminal that, that just really breaks this down. You're looking mm -hmm. at members like Rob Portman, of Ohio tends to be a moderate voted for Lael Bernard for her current post but he said that now he's urging Biden to choose Powell and so I think you know if if he does decide to go with Governor Brainerd this could wind up being a battle in the Senate the but the news today from Sherrod Brown other than the imminent headline which did make me chuckle this morning because that word is just not terribly meaningful in this particular uh, capital city uh, the fact that he thought both could be confirmed uh, left some people scratching their heads. Do you believe it? I mean, look, Sherrod Brown knows more about his Senate colleagues than I do, but it definitely seems like Powell would be a much easier candidate to get through the Senate yeah. than for Governor Brainerd. Let's bring Rick and Kristen in on this. What do you make of uh, this whole conversation, Rick, the confirmation process? Obviously, it would be an easier road uh, for President Biden to maintain the status quo, but Sherrod Brown saying both could be confirmed. Do you believe that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you rarely have a big fight on Fed chair. Uh, the fact that she's already now? been through a confirmation, you know, makes it even easier for her. Uh, the fact that they're not bringing someone in from the outside uh, really gives the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats uh, on the banking committee and also on in the in the in the Senate itself, you know, a lot of comfort that both people have been vetted. So I, I really think this is uh, a bit of a canard. You know, uh, Biden's going to make his choice. Uh, it's not going to matter really in the Senate confirmation process who he picks. 
the fact that he's taken so long to do this indicates to me that he that it's probably not Powell. I mean, how hard is it to reappoint Powell? Uh, how much do you really have to think about that? Do so you think there's a change coming? Uh, it, it smells like it. I mean, he's been really good about uh, putting a lot more diversity uh, into the uh, administration. And he needs a new talking point around inflation. And, I mean, if he can find a new talking point around inflation by, by picking Lyle uh, Brainard, uh, then he ought to do that because he is stuck in the mud when it comes to that issue. You know, Rick, you, you have mentioned how long this is taking. And it strikes me that they're not just looking to fill Fed chair necessarily. Biden also has the opportunity to fill several other of the Fed's vacancies. And, and Kristen, I want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, do you think that we might get more than one announcement on Friday? Would that be a good thing for Biden to come out and say, hey, here's the person I want for chair, but here's some other people and maybe try and try and make everyone in his party happy? Yeah, I mean, I think anything's possible. They've really held their cards. Uh, the White House has held their cards close to their best on this one. Um, you know, I would align myself with Rick's comments about um, a change here. There's only so much, however, that the president can do when it comes to inflation. If things cost more, they cost more, and change doesn't come quickly. Um, but it's an interesting thought, and I think it might be something that the White House might, might want to consider. We just uh, got a, an interesting headline on the terminal here that Senator Joe Manchin says he plans to meet with Jay Powell in the next few days. I guess that's less than four as President Biden uh, weighs whether to give him a second term. Where's Joe Manchin going to come down on this after they sit down and talk this out, Rick Davis? Yeah, I don't think he'd be asking to uh, see him if uh, if he was going to say, oh, this isn't the guy for the job. Uh, He's probably trying to do a bank shot with the president by trying to elevate uh, Powell uh, just by meeting with him. You know, this is an age old uh, tactic in the United States Senate and in the White House, where a meeting itself is a message. Uh, and, uh, and so who knows how this is all going to frame out. But uh, I think all these things that are happening now, like Sherrod Brown's comments about, yeah. uh, I can get anybody through this process, either candidate works, is all part of the process of, of trying to influence the White House one way or another. Obviously, if, if the White House believes it can get any of its two candidates through, then it, it gives it a lot more leeway. Sounds like the noise you start hearing right before the end. As we spend time with the panel here, I'm Joe Matthew with Emily Wilkins. This is Bloomberg Sound On, and I have to ask you guys about China. I woke up this morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, waiting to talk to the guys on surveillance, knowing this meeting went late into the night, and I wanted to see the readout. We had to find out what happened. And the headlines were kind of nothing. I don't know what you both think about this. Kristen, Joe Biden sits down with... President Xi, so to speak, they were virtual on screens, of course. Was it a success simply for the fact that they lived to meet again, even though there were really no deliverables? The tariffs are still there, still got trouble with Taiwan. Not a lot actually changed. Yeah, I mean, I think that you could that you could consider it a success in so much as that there wasn't a ton of fireworks that came out of that meeting. Um, and that's changed from earlier this year and then from the past, um, you know, presidency. So, you know, in, in that way, I think that, you know, they accomplished their goal. Um, the meeting went for a significant amount of time, um, over three hours. So in that way, I think that, you know, this is, um, you know, somewhat a success, although we'll see uh, with, you know, continued conversations going forward. With China, it's admit, obviously a very complicated relationship. Emily, I felt like the fact that that was the headline, really, is that the meeting went for longer than three hours, kind of said it all. <laughs> 
Absolutely. I mean, the White House played down expectations before this meeting, but I think everyone was still, you know, you wait for something like this. This was played up. This is President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. They've been working on a meeting for a while and then you know, they had a pleasant conversation. Uh, I do want to quickly at least touch on on one headline. Granted, this isn't one of the major, major issues with the U.S. and China, but uh, the two countries did reach a deal on journalist visas. Obviously, you know, as journalists ourselves, that, that's something worth highlighting. Uh, but Rick, I want to come to you a little bit here, just sort of thinking about what next steps are. Are. I mean, is it enough for the U.S. and China to just maintain a, a peaceful relationship? I mean, certainly something has to happen when it comes to trade, when it comes to Taiwan, when it comes to human rights. What does a uh, victory look like for Joe Biden in his relationship with China? Yeah, well, I, I would say I, I, I would be the dissenter on like whether or not like the meeting just because no nothing really accomplished that that was a accomplishment in itself. It's like being famous for being famous. Oh my God. Is that a good thing? So this was I mean, the Paris Hilton of bilats? Yeah. I mean, like, are we crazy? China is a threat to our existence on the planet. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're the bully in that whole half of the world. Uh, they're, they're violating every societal norm and a lot of our business activity and, and security needs are being thwarted by these people. And we have like a a picnic with these guys in our first real chance to confront a guy who's now become a dictator. I mean, what am I missing here? <laughs> so, do I, mean, you, what, I mean, so you know what you do with bullies, though. I mean, should Joe Biden have uh, punched him in the face while everybody was watching? Well, it's a virtual punch in the face would have been fine with Rick Davis. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, do we really want to make this brand of China provocateurism uh, uh, the norm? Like, that's okay with us to have these kind of conversations? So, nah, is that true? I Chris don't think so. That, did, did Joe Biden give tacit approval of China's behavior last night? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, I get where Rick's coming from. Um, but the matter of fact is that, you know, this China's a, a, a superpower and we shouldn't treat them with kid gloves. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge, you know, they're standing in the world and we need to figure out how to um, move forward in, you know, a way that does not involve military <laughs> intervention. Yeah. Rick, you wanted to tear down this wall moment. They are building more nuclear weapons. What do you think they want to use those for? Right. I mean, like, let's that that discussion was hardly even broached yesterday. Uh, we don't have a nuclear weapons treaty with China and, and we're not the ones who should be worried. I mean, they're not the ones who should be worried about that. So I, I think this is something that is going to be the defining foreign policy issue for the Biden administration over the next three years. And they've they have started initially with getting beat up on the face by Chinese uh, 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 foreign ministers, and now with an opportunity to set the pace with, with, with Premier Xi, Biden basically has a picnic for three hours. And, and so, like, I think this, they have to ramp it up. And I can't wait to see the in-person meeting, because then maybe a yeah. punch in the face would be appropriate. <laughs> and well, after all, there was no invite to the Olympics, I mean, for crying out loud. Rick Davis, Kristen Hahn, great conversation, and thanks for your contributions. Our panel on the Tuesday edition here. I'm Joe Matthew with Emily Wilkins. In the fastest hour in politics, Emily, final word here as we walk into a day tomorrow that could bring breaking news. Well, I got to pivot back to Congress real quick. Yeah. Because one thing they are working on is their defense bill that could contain some provisions that would help the U.S. be competitive with China. That might be the next step here. There's a nugget from Emily Wilkins, the NDAA. Emily, that was fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. How about it? 
I look forward to it, Joe. Thank you. You're on Bloomberg. Are you kidding? Thanks for being with us this hour. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Check on traffic coming up next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.